welcome. I'm so glad and honored that you've chosen to spend some time together with us. For the next few weeks together, we're going to spend some time, more time in here and less time in that space. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm Sean. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to begin today with a question. A question I want to ask you to be honest about for a minute. It may seem weighty or, or, or personal or, or hard to even consider. But, but remember, there's no test at the end. <laughs> there, there's no trick to this. In fact, I'll never know. But be honest with yourself. So here's the question. Here's the question I want to ask you today. How would your coworkers describe you? What was that first word that came to mind? That, that first thing that popped into your mind that you knew they would say about you? Now, now remember, there, this isn't an interview, so, so just take a breath, but think about it. Be honest with yourself. What are some words that you think your coworkers would use to describe you? Funny. Uh, punctual. Maybe organized or, or um, driven. Maybe drama. A gossip. How about your neighbors? How would your neighbors describe you? Helpful? Friendly? <laughs> loud? A great gardener. How about your family? <laughs> now, now it's, it's getting uncomfortable. Maybe uh, kind or, or patient or sincere or sarcastic or, or irritable or generous or a slob. You see, people often ask the question, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? And, and that's a good question to ask. But, but I've, 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 I've probably been to more funerals than most of us. And it rarely plays out the way we imagine it's going to in our mind. For most of us, there won't be hundreds of people packed in. For most of us, we'll live past 70 and there'll be 30 to 40 people, mostly kids and grandkids and maybe a grandchild or two. And, and, and a great-grandchild or two, and, and maybe a few friends that outlive you by a couple years. And even for the biggest jerks, those people will say some nice things. And in three generations, no one will remember your name. <laughs> wow. What a chipper way to start a four-week series on joy. But here's a better question to ask yourself. What do people say about you now? You see, your funeral will simply be the polished portions of the nicest things people have to say about you now. But what is it? What is it that people would say about you now? Paul, uh, the guy who wrote a large section of the New Testament, writes to a church in a region called Galatia. Now, now they were all, all of them were brand new Christians. 
And he's trying to tell them what their lives should be like as followers of Jesus, or, or as importantly, how to recognize when they and others are pursuing Jesus, or when their hearts and their interests and their loves have wandered to pursue other things of this world. So he gives them a list. We love lists. In the church world, we call this list the fruit of the Spirit. He gives us nine fruits or, um, or byproducts or, or, or symptoms of following Jesus, of the Spirit of God working inside you. It says this in Galatians 5 verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So let me ask you as bluntly and clearly and as kindly as I can, if your coworkers, neighbors, or family made a list of words that described you, how many of these words would be on the list? Or maybe ask yourself this. If your coworkers and neighbors and family wrote a list describing what a person would look like, making a list of what it would look like for a follower of Jesus, their life, how they would be changed, but all they had to do it off of was your life, how similar would their list look to Paul's? You see, Paul tells the church of Galatia and us too, if God is working in us, it is going to change us. And you will be more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-control. And have self-control. So, so for these four weeks, I want to look at one of these nine words. We don't have time, as much as I'd love to, to cover all nine of them. In fact, it's going to take four weeks to cover one. But I want to look at one that I think is the most misunderstood and underappreciated. It's joy. In fact, Craig Rochelle, when talking about joy, says, If the joy of the Lord is in your heart... A lot you need to tell your face, underappreciated and undercelebrated. Now, here's what I know half of you are already thinking right now. Well, of course, Sean, of course you want to talk about joy. You're always happy. You may be thinking to yourself, you know, being happy all the time just isn't my authentic self. That sediment. Valid as it may be, exposes the shallowness with which we understand what joy is. Joy, the kind of joy Paul is talking to us about. It's not a personal trait or natural demeanor. Joy is, joy is a lens through which we see the world we live in. It's founded in unchanging historic events. Joy, it fills us with a lightness today, not weighted down by the worries of this world. And with joy, we walk with a confidence and a hope into the future. See, here's the first thing that I want you to see from these two simple verses that Paul gives us. 
Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, not a personality trait. If there were those that were born with the type of joy that Paul is calling us to, as he's describing here, it would not need to be amongst the list of the transformational work of the Spirit in you. If even a few of us were born joyful, then it would not be a fruit of the Spirit working in you. It may be from God, and it may be good, but it'd be something different than the fruit of the Spirit. Let me say it to you this way. An apple can only come from an apple tree. A spirit fruit, a fruit of the Spirit that Paul's talking about here, if we can call it that, can only come from a spirit tree. Despite your grocery store experience, an apple can never just appear. So too, the kind of joy Paul speaks of never just appears. It is the fruit of a tree growing in the soil of your soul. When that tree is cultivated, cared for, the fruit will begin to appear in you. We'll get back to the cultivating the the tree idea in a minute. But before we do, here's what else I want you to see from this short passage. Joy is a fruit, not a pursuit. Joy is a fruit, not a pursuit. We're all familiar with the claim of our Declaration of Independence for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that is what many of us think this life is about. The pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of joy. Now, you you may not say it that way, but we believe it. We say things like, I just want to be happy. Or, uh, you be you. Oh, I love this one. God would never want you to be unhappy. The problem is this whole book. Or maybe we say, do what makes you happy. It is what has led to so much brokenness in us. It's led us to piles of historic debt as we try to carry out this pursuit of happiness. It is ironically what has made so many of us so unhappy, so unsatisfied, so unjoyful. See, we think that joy is something we can capture if we just run fast enough and push hard enough and spend enough. But look what it says. The fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a fruit not a pursuit. You will never become more joyful by trying to be more joyful. You will only become more joyful when you cultivate the tree that produces the joy fruit. Recently, I watched the People vs. O.J. Simpson miniseries, and and there was a line in that that I thought was deeply profound and, and even helpful for us today. One of the lawyers for the prosecution says, um, he says, there is a way to act kind and not be kind. 
And I would suggest to you today that there is a way to act joyful and not be joyful. You see, joy is a fruit, not a pursuit. A pursuit of joy will always leave you empty and alone. Because like an apple plucked from the branches of a tree, the apple will soon be consumed or wrought in your hand, leaving you empty-handed either way. If we are to be people marked by joy, a, a kind of God-honoring, life-giving, community-transforming joy that Paul invites to the people of Galatia to, that he invites us to, it will only appear in as much as we care for the spirit tree in our souls. As much as we cultivate a deeper relationship with the Spirit of God, that we follow Jesus more closely, trust, believe, and walk in the truth that he speaks of, of himself, of us, and this world. You see, there is a pursuit in this life for each of us. A great journey that we're invited to. A journey worth giving your life for. A journey of rich beauty and meaning and joy. That journey, that pursuit is the pursuit of God himself. Insofar as we pursue God, that tree of his spirit in us grows and strengthens and bears fruit. If you've had a Bible open, you may have noticed the verses that bracket our passage. Look at verse 18 and verse 25. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. These are the two verses that bracket the fruit of the Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit... That, that is pursuit language, a journey language, a, a pursuit of God. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Go on a journey, on a pursuit. You see, joy itself is not the pursuit. Joy in us is the fruit of a man or woman who pursuing to walk closer with God. The more we follow, the more we will experience joy. The more we trust, the more we will experience joy. The more we cultivate, the more we will experience joy. This is the very nature of what Jesus means to be a follower of Jesus. Or as Jesus calls it himself, he calls us to be disciples. Mark 1.17 says it this way, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, pursuit, and I will make you fishers of men. See, see, your job in this life is not to cultivate joy or kindness or love. Your job is to follow him. As you follow him, he will make you into something different. The same invitation is being made to you. If you give me the liberty to merge these two verses together, it is as if Jesus is saying to you today, follow me, 
and I will make you a person of joy. But how? How do, how, do we, how do we do that in the midst of brokenness and heartache and death and disease? How does he make us joyful? Even so far as James tells us, have you heard this? James says to consider it pure joy when you face trials in this life. But how? See, the key difference between the pursuit of happiness and the joy fruit that is that happiness is found in current or future circumstances and joy is grounded in historic reality. See, happiness is this thing now or the possibility of this thing in the future bringing me comfort, peace, pleasure, satisfaction, whatever emotion we, we might assign to it. See, the, the problem is, is as the comedian said, that maybe the most true words of scripture may be these four words. It came to pass. It didn't come to stay. It came to pass. Uh, good news is that we remember the heartache you're feeling right now. It came to pass. The loneliness you feel right now. It came to pass. The shame you feel right now came to pass. The fear you feel right now, the uncertainty, it came to pass. But on the flip side, when our happiness is born in the things of this world, on our current circumstances or our future hopes, on the flip side, the, the extra money you have right now came to pass. The, the sunny summer days, it came to pass. Your health came to pass. It didn't come to stay. See, happiness based on circumstances of today or hopes for tomorrow that will wither and fade. However, joy, the kind of joy that is the fruit of following Jesus, the kind of joy James talks about, the kind of joy that Paul is trying to encourage the church of Galatia in, the kind of joy that Paul talks about that is not controlled by the waves of today. It, it is what enables Paul to say, I do not consider this present suffering as anything. See, joy is the fruit of a seed planted deep in the historical truth of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Joy explodes forth in the darkness, in the darkest of our days. When, when the Spirit of God reminds us and reshapes our hearts around this glorious and unchanging truth, Romans 8.32, that he who gave his own son for us, what more will he not do for you? This truth comforts our souls. It allows us to walk in boldness that even when my eyes cannot see and my soul knows the truth, that he is good and he is able. That when I'm weary and exhausted from the hardship of this life, I can stand and worship because God has forever displayed his greatest demonstration of love for us in the cross. If we would do that, well, today may not make sense for me yet or ever, but I know 
that what is happening is occurring because of his great love for me and that that can never be moved. Let me illustrate it to you this way with another question. Do you know how many Super Bowls the Dallas Cowboys have won? Five. Five, that's right, Seattle Seahawks fans, five. They've won five. The Dallas Cowboys are Super Bowl champions. No matter what happens this football season, no one can remove the five Lombardi trophies that stand at AT&T Stadium. They are, no matter what happens tomorrow, or next season, or in 10 seasons, they are the Super Bowl champion Dallas Cowboys. No one can ever remove that from them. There may be a season when I say, I have no clue what Jerry Jones is thinking. There may be a time like early 2000s when they went five and 12 for three years in a row when I think, <laughs> this is what it must be like to be a Mariners fan. But the truth will never change. They are the Super Bowl champion Dallas Cowboys. You see, because of the cross, this truth will never change. If you are a follower of Christ, then you are a dearly loved child of God. Where does deep, true joy come from? The kind of joy that Paul talks about, the kind of joy that James talks about, the kind that Jesus talks about. As we water the spirit tree in our soul, as we grow closer to Jesus, as we trust and rely on the spirit to transform us, as we press in closer to God, as we preach again the gospel to ourselves, as we lean into the greater and deeper truth, that God is good and able, and we are loved completely. If, and only if, you are a follower of Jesus, as you foster a relationship with the Spirit of God in you, your joy will grow too. As you come to believe and to trust that in the most important areas of our life, the eternal destiny of your soul, that God's taking care of it. You can walk with a, a, with a lightness, a freedom, a peace, and even a joy. A joy that will shine as a light on a hill in a dark and fearful world. Uh, another pastor once said this, that worry is the result of asking the wrong questions. I would dovetail off of that truth and say this, that I think joy is the fruit of asking the right questions. The question we should be asking, does God love me? Is he good and is he able? I, I wanna end a little bit different today. I want to end with a blessing over you from Colossians 3. It says this, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 
having been firmly rooted and, and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude and joy. Does he love you? Is he good? And is he able? Those three questions in light of the cross will transform all of the world and the circumstances that we experience today and tomorrow and into the future and will well up inside of us despite the circumstances we see before us. A kind of joy founded in the goodness of God displayed in the cross. This morning, this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, I pray that you'd lean in, that you'd believe that truth, that you would trust that he is good and he's able and that he loves you. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that there may not be this kind of joy that Paul's talking about in your life because there's not Jesus in your life. Because you haven't leaned in and embraced and grabbed hold of his grace and his mercy and his love for you. But that is present for you today. Simply calling out his name, trusting and believing that Jesus is God, that he is good, and he gave himself in your place and that there's life for you. And if you need to have a conversation, if you want to have a conversation with someone about what that means for you, we'd love to, to join with you, to pray with you, to talk with you. And you can text Monmouth to 97,000 and fill out a connect card and we'd love to connect with you. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you this morning for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that the foundation of our faith is the demonstration of your love. Lord, we pray that as followers of you, as disciples, that we would lean in, that we would nurture and foster the spirit of God in our souls, and that it would bear rich and good fruit, that it would bear joy in our life. For those of us listening who, who haven't leaned in and trust you, Lord, I pray you give them the courage today to reach out, to say something, to trust and believe that you are good, that you are able, and that you love them, and that Jesus is sufficient. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.